My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, this is John Hemminghouse for the Beacon of Hope broadcast. Have you ever wondered how awesome it would be to have been one of Jesus' disciples and to have the privilege of following him personally? We all know that the honor of being one of Jesus' 12 original disciples is not open to us today, but can we not be our Lord's closest followers in our generation? The answer is an emphatic yes. This is what today's message is all about. If you have access to a Bible, you can turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 verses 14 through 20, which describes Jesus' call of his first four disciples. From this study, we can also see some major principles that are involved in being a personal follower of Jesus today. Would you like to be a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ? Sadly, more people said they wanted to follow our Lord than actually did. So let's take a few moments to look at some people who followed Jesus and some who did not. Me for another Beacon of Hope broadcast, and it's Pastor Lane Jones from Calkins Baptist Church. We've been going over the, for the last several weeks the um, uh, methods of Christ as Jesus was going and doing uh, ministry, not uh, focusing on his messages. Again, we did a series on that a number of weeks ago. But we're focusing on um, actual events in Christ's life and just watching what he does. And we come to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 to 20. This morning, as we talk about Jesus calling his first four disciples, these would be Peter and Andrew, their brothers, and James and John, they're also brothers. And so that takes place, uh, and I'll read the scripture and then we'll just have a brief word of prayer. It's Mark chapter 1, I'm reading verses 14 to 20. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, John is John the Baptist, okay, not John the disciple of Jesus. And, and, and so Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And as he walked by the sea, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to um, have this broadcast. We pray that you'll bless those who are listening. Um, Lord, give them grace to understand your word and me uh, grace to be able to communicate it clearly we ask that you'll be glorified accomplish in each of our hearts lord we come with different needs and so we ask that you'd accomplish in each of our hearts what only you can do in jesus name amen have you ever considered becoming a follower of christ um, that is like a, a the word for follower in the bible often is the word disciple especially in the new testament that's where you find it and uh, that means a follower uh, but it means a, a loyal follower, somebody just not, you know, just kind of like a fair weather fan. You know, if someone said, do you follow football? Well, I follow it to an extent. I, uh, long since I was a little kid, been a New York Giant fan. It's not the greatest day in the world to be a Giant fan right now. But I, since I was a kid, uh, upstate New York, that's the team that I picked and uh, followed them ever since. But uh, have, have I watched any games this year? I think maybe I've watched one and it didn't end well. And uh, didn't even go well throughout the whole game. And uh, so you could call me a follower 
of football or a follower of the of the Giants, but I'd be quite honest with you, I'm not a close follower. And I think a disciple is someone who's a follower of Jesus, but he's he's serious about it. He's really trying to go on with the Lord and obey him. And have you, have you become a dedicated follower of Christ yet in your life? Uh, there's a good girl by the name of Alila. Uh, she stood on a beach holding her tiny infant son close to her heart. Tears welled in her eyes. She began slowly walking toward the river's edge. She stopped in. Uh, she excuse me, stepped into the water, uh, silently making her way out until she was waist deep. Uh, the water gently lapping against the sleeping baby's feet. She stood there for a long time, holding the child tightly, as she stared out across the river. Then all of a sudden, with one quick movement, she threw her six-month-old baby into the river to meet his watery death. Now, a missionary was nearby, and this individual often witnessed among the crowds who came to the Ganges River, a place that is considered sacred by uh, many in that area. He came upon Alila that day, kneeling in the sand, and she was crying unemotionally, beating her breast. With compassion, he knelt down next to her and asked her what was wrong. And through sobs, Alila told the missionary um, the story I just told you. And then she said this, The problems in my home are too many, and my sins are heavy on my heart. So I offered the best I have to the goddess Ganges, my firstborn son. You can imagine the missionary's heart was a missionary is a Christian missionary. He ached for this desperate woman. As she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Jesus and and how through him her sins could be forgiven. Uh, and then she looked at him strangely and she said, I've never heard that before. And then she asked a question through her tears that I think many of us would be asking, almost all of us would be asking if we were in her in her spot. And that is, she said this, why couldn't you have come a little earlier? If you did, my child would not have had to die. You know, being a disciple of Jesus is a big deal because there are people all over this world and they're not just over in foreign countries like India. They're, in, they're all across this world that, that their lives are a wreck they don't know how to fix it, and many times they're they're going in the wrong direction for the answers. And you know we tend to want to keep God in a certain box. Uh, we want to be a follower, like maybe I'm a follower of the Giants, and that if hey if they have a good year, maybe I'll pay a little more attention. Uh, never gone to a game. Uh, my wife sometimes gets me a uh, one time she got me a Christmas sweatshirt. I think she got it at the Salvation Army, so you can't say she spent a ton of money on it. But the idea is, you know, some, we get I, there's a little bit. I uh, but but it, it's in a box. My football uh, following is in a box, and we like to try, try to do that with God too. We like to keep self in the driver's seat and God. Um, we like him to kind of be on the periphery somewhere, where if things I really need him, I can almost like a, an attorney. You know, he's he's a uh, uh, if, if I need them, I've, I've, I've got them, I can call them in and, and get my help. We call it putting them on a retainer. Well, um, that's not what Jesus is calling these men to do. He's calling them to forsake all and to follow him. And so I want you to notice, first of all, that Jesus is looking for disciples. And this, by the way, doesn't end at the first century. This is still going on today. 
back up in the verses we read, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, or it could come at any moment, is what that means, repent and believe in the gospel. So it's interesting what Jesus is saying. He's urging people to become his followers right then. And I will tell you, he's still doing that today. And the question is, why? Well, because uh, your time to serve as a disciple is limited. He just mentioned, by the way, uh, let me just back up a little farther in, in verse 14. I read it just a second ago. After John was put in prison, I mentioned that that's not John the disciple, the one who was called to be a disciple uh, on this particular day. It's a different man, John the Baptist, who was a great prophet. John the Baptist was arrested. John the Baptist would never get out of prison. He was arrested by King Herod because uh, John spoke out against Herod's unlawful uh, marriage to his brother's wife. He told Herod, you shouldn't take her. She's your brother's wife. And, of course, uh, Herod, uh, he knew that was wrong. And, and uh, uh, he, was, he, he didn't like it, but he was uh, okay with it. But, but Herod's uh, new wife, Herodias, uh, was was angry to the point where she finagled it until Herod killed John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, his opportunities to be out preaching the gospel were done in, in his early 30s. He, he dies a martyr's death. And can I say that one of the reasons why, if Christ is calling you to be one of his followers, why you need to get on that, and not just, oh, I'll do it one of these days, but you need to respond, and you need to respond today, is because you don't know how much time you have. And we do know this. Your time is limited, just like mine is. Uh, one of the things I also do is coach basketball. And uh, before our games, I try to give a little thought to the crowd that's there. Sometimes you have people that will come to a basketball game that won't come to church. I think that's kind of normal. So one of the things I was talking about just this week at our game was the fact that, um, you know, one of the major things that governs a basketball game is the clock. And in high school, you have an eight-minute uh, quarter, and you have four of them. And, of course, there's stop time of, and, unless the score gets out of hand. And, and so, the, But the clock determines uh, the length of that game. And every one of us has a life clock. We don't know how long that's going to be. We, it's not like in a basketball game where we have 32 minutes to uh, four uh, eight-minute quarters. We really don't know how long it's going to be. But we do know this. It's probably not going to be much more than, say, 80 years or so. In the, in the, in the Bible, Moses' day, Moses said our, the days of our years are, are, are 70, and if by reason of strength they're 80 years, yet is there uh, strength, labor, and sorrow, will soon we pass away. Now, again, he's not saying that you never live beyond 80, but that, let's just use that as kind of a, a round number. Uh, what quarter are you in? As I... Uh, was talking to the crowd. I'm just about to the end of the third quarter. Turned 59 just a few weeks ago. And which means uh, the fourth quarter, the last, if you divide that 80 years up into four quarters, that's 20 years a quarter. And uh, I'm heading into the fourth quarter. My time to serve is limited. Uh, your your opportunities are limited. limited. That uh, the, the This lady that was out in the, in the Ganges River and, and, and threw her baby in to try to atone for her sins, ignorantly, without knowing that Christ had died for her sins. The time to get to that woman is limited. And unfortunately, as hard as that missionary may have tried, he wasn't there when 
and didn't know what was going to happen. But you also have to wonder, don't you, maybe somebody else should have been there? You wonder if, if, if genuine Christians responded to the call of God as we ought. Would there not have been maybe somebody there? Maybe a woman that could have talked her out of that. Or another missionary that wouldn't have been tied up with whatever the other man's um, issues were before he got there. Your time to serve is limited. The opportunities are limited. And your lifespan is limited. Jesus is looking for disciples and he's calling for them to be followers of him right now. Also, your chance to become a disciple is limited. It's limited in time because Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God was imminent. Now, I'm going to just talk for a moment here on prophecy. It's not really the focus of this message, but Jesus does bring it up. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And what's he talking about? Well, he was and is the Messiah, the promised uh, king of Israel. He came as that. He, He is expressing to them that the kingdom of God is being offered to them right at that moment. Now, they would reject it, unfortunately. And so that kingdom is, is still coming. And Christ knew that, uh, obviously, already. But the, but the reality was, the kingdom was among them right now, and the opportunities were right then, and people needed to respond. And the tragedy is, although there were, and we see examples right now, James, John, uh, Peter, Andrew, these, these men did respond, but tragically, many did not. And their, their time is up. There's not a person that lived in Jesus' generation that's still out walking this earth. And so Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God could come at any moment and you'll lose your opportunity. Can I just say that that death for us is also imminent? What I mean by that is not that we all have terminal diseases by any stretch, other than the fact that we all live on a sin-cursed planet and we don't have a guarantee of tomorrow. And to put my eternity... In um, kind of a Russian roulette game, where I well, I don't, I don't know Christ, and I don't want to know Him now. I want to kind of live my own way. One of these days, maybe I'll, I'll give my heart to Christ. That's a very foolish way to live. Your your uh, opportunity to become a disciple is limited in time, but it's also limited in method. What I mean by that is Jesus does not offer. Uh, different options for entering God's kingdom. It's not like you know an insurance plan. Some of you would be familiar with this. Where um, uh, well, there's the platinum plan. If you really want to give the most of uh, money, then you'll get the best plan, the platinum. Well, if you don't want to give quite that much, um, you know, on a, on a monthly basis for your premium, then there's the gold plan. And we have we don't have quite as many benefits as the plat- platinum fa- plan, but it's cheaper. So, and then of course, if you really are a cheapo and you and you just basically have to cover yourself because of maybe. Um, uh, some governmental decree or whatever, then maybe you want the bronze plan. And that's the lowest one. You pay the least premium, but and you get the least benefits from it. And But Jesus is offering one plan. To be his disciple and to be part of his kingdom, it has two conditions. He mentions them both in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It could come at any moment. Repent. There's condition number one. And condition number two, believe in the gospel. Now, this idea of repentance, what is that? Uh, Many wanted Jesus as Messiah if it meant that he would lead a military rebellion against Rome. The the nation of Israel was being oppressed by the mighty Roman Empire, 
And there were many in Jesus' day that when they thought of Messiah, matter of fact, I think almost all of the Jewish people of Jesus' day thought of the Messiah as a person that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and bring in uh, world peace uh, through the nation of Israel becoming the dominant nation on earth. And so, hey, if Jesus is going to come and lead a military rebellion, there are many people that would be all about that. They were more than ready to pick up their swords, follow a man to overthrow the Romans. And they tried this on many different occasions with different men who claimed to be great leaders. But Jesus did not come to save them politically at this point. That would just be a temporary fix. He came to save his people spiritually and thus eternally. He came to save us from an enemy greater than Rome, even greater than the devil, and that is our own sin. Now, this was a message then that is not uh, like, um, it's not that Jesus was the first one to to teach this in this generation. John the Baptist, in Matthew chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and you'll hear him say something very similar to what Jesus said. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same thing. John called his listeners to bring forth fruits befitting repentance. What he meant by that is you say that you want to be a, a follower of the coming Messiah. John didn't at this point know who that Messiah was going to be. He just knew the Messiah was coming and he was supposed to announce that he was coming. So John is preaching and there are people coming up to him and say, okay, if we've got to be ready for the Messiah, if you say the Messiah is here then uh, what do we have to do? How do we, he says, repent. Well, what, what does that mean? And so they, people would ask him for specifics. One of the ways they could show repentance was to be baptized. It was a sign of their repentance and the fact that they were saying, we're not in the kingdom just because of our birth. I have sinned against God greatly and my baptism is saying to God, I am sorry for my sins. That's what they were doing. And now other people came up, and, and by the way, all of these people who were followers of John the Baptist, that's what they were doing. They were being baptized by him. But they also said, okay, what, else, what are we supposed to do now? How do we show this repentance? How do we live a life of repentance? And so he talked about things like giving to the poor, not overcharging people, soldiers not doing unnecessary violence. You can read about that. It's in Luke chapter 3. So this message that Jesus is preaching is not is not unusual in the fact that repentance is a key to going to heaven. It's a key to being part of the family of God. Now, Peter was preaching the same message even after the cross, after Jesus had um, died on the cross. In in Acts chapter 2, this is the very first message that is publicly preached after Jesus' resurrection. And Peter comes to the conclusion, and and, and some people said to him, Men and brethren, because Peter's not alone, he's got his other disciples with him, what shall we do? What does God want us to do? You've told us that Jesus really is the Messiah, that he's risen from the dead. Now what do we do? Because we crucified him. Peter says this, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, Repent. And be baptized as a, as, a, as a public testimony of your repentance. Show, don't just say you're a follower of Jesus, show it. You know, we have a lot of people in our generation today who would claim, oh, if you took, uh, took a survey, oh, I'm a Christian. 
And many would even say, I'm a born-again Christian. But the reality is, it's all talk. There's no changed life. What the Lord is saying is, repentant, repent to, to be saved, is it's an essential. Chapter 3, verse 19, Peter's preaching again. This is a few days later. He says this, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So let me ask you this question. What do you need to repent of? If you were going to come to Jesus and really become one of his followers, what would you have to forsake? That's a, that's a good question. Because the reality is, it's not just, oh, pray a prayer and you're in. There has to be a repentant heart. God's not fooled if we're just trying to say some magic words that we think are somehow going to get us into heaven. And may I say to you, there may be some of you, and the truth is, you've never lived for God. You've never wanted to live for God. And the reality is, you prayed a prayer years ago thinking that that prayer was somehow going to magically transform you. But if there was not a repentant heart, if there was not a a desire of sorrow for sin, a realization that your sins were dragging you into hell, that you needed Christ, if that didn't accompany that prayer, then then you're no more more born again than, than, than the devil. There has to be repentance. Acts chapter 5, verse 31, we see uh, Peter preaching again with the other disciples, and, and he says this about Jesus, Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Peter wasn't the only one preaching this, by the way, and we've seen three different occasions where Peter was preaching it, who was one of the major leaders of the early church. Let me take you to Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. And we find um, that there's a group of people here. These are all leaders in the early church. They're not named, but they've been listening to um, the Apostle Paul as he's been sharing the great work that God's been doing among the Gentiles. I'm sorry, they're listening to Peter as to Peter's um, uh, reaching a Gentile man without without circumcision, without all the things that they thought was ne- were, were necessary. So here's the conclusion that this group of leaders in the early church uh, uh, come to. When they heard these things about Peter's testimony about the salvation of this Gentile man by the name of Cornelius, they became silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then has God also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. You see, it always has been repentance as a part of salvation. Matter of fact, um, when we say uh, that one is saved by faith alone, we need to be careful that we understand that that uh, idea of, of being saved by faith alone, that, that coin has two sides of it. And one is, yes, the side of believing the facts about the gospel and the fact that Jesus is the Son of God who became a, a, a human uh, a being, a man, so and died on a cross, rose again three days later so that we could be saved. It's not merely, though, believing those facts, but being willing to repent and turn from my sin to God. There are many people that come to the place in their lives at some point where they really do understand and believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah and that he did die on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead three days later. But there's a second question. Do I really want to turn from my sin and follow him? And there are many people that say, no, I want to live my life for myself, at least a little while longer. And they put off that decision until tragically it's too late. 
That's why Jesus is calling people to be his disciples right now. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul now is is talking. It says, when they come to him, he said to them, you know that from the first day, and he's talking to another group of of leaders this time in the church of Ephesus, which um, Paul had, had, had a great ministry there. So he's talking to these leaders. He says, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, what manner I have always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews as also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same for everybody. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. We all have to repent and believe. That's exactly, Paul just described his ministry, and he says, I'm testifying this to everybody, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, will say something very similar. He talks about the basic foundations of the gospel in verse 1 of chapter 6, and he says this, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. He's the, the, you know, the, the grammar school, the, the elementary school principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. Here's the elementary principles of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. One of the foundational pillars of understanding that you have to come to if you're going to go to, to God's heaven one day, if you're going to belong to Christ, is the fact that you are a sinner before God and you need to repent of your sins and turn from them to Christ. Now Jesus then is doing the same thing. I'm back in Mark chapter 1. He says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So you see, Jesus did not come to give you power over your physical enemies. That's what the people of his day thought. But he came to give you power over your greatest enemies, sin and death. He didn't come to give you a better job, although that um, you might might have a, a better job if you're more honest and, and a better worker if God works in your life. Okay, that's fine, but that's not the purpose of his coming, to give you a better job. That's only going to last for a limited time. Instead, He came to give you the privilege of working for him in the greatest harvest field, and that is the souls of the people of this world. He didn't come to give you an easier life where you can make more money or buy more cool stuff. He did not even necessarily come to give you a happy marriage or nicer kids. You know, we like to, you hear many people on television and radio and they're presenting the gospel as if, if you know, it's kind of your best life now. You're going to, why, you're going to enjoy more life and things are going to go so much better for you if you know Christ as Savior. I'm just saying this, that's not always, that's not true. He didn't come to give you an easier life. If you look at how his life turned out, he goes to the cross. You look at his disciples, from what we understand of church history, everyone but one of them died a martyr's death, and they tried to kill the Apostle John, one of the guys that's mentioned in this passage about the four disciples. They tried to kill him, and it was unsuccessful. So he didn't come to give you an easier life. He came to give you an eternally meaningful life, where you can invest in things that will never pass away or be insignificant. I think of some people like Amy Carmichael, who spent her life over in India and came, uh, and came across some horrific 
things that were going on in the temples over there, the temples of, of idolatry. And she became aware of how they were abusing young girls in these temples and began to rescue them. And she reached hundreds of kids, hundreds of children. Uh, think of another uh, a woman, a single missionary as well. Her name was Gladys Aylward. Uh, you can look her up. You can look both these ladies up. Um, uh, they're quite famous on the Internet. And Gladys, um, uh, was she wanted to be a missionary in China. She went through a missions organization and uh, went to some classes trying to learn Chinese, and quite frankly, she couldn't do it. Uh, she really struggled with it, and so the mission agency said, "Nah, we can't send you." Well, Alice, uh, or excuse me, Gladys was not. Um, uh, she felt the Lord was calling her there, even if the mission board didn't agree with her. And so she pooled all of her money after working a few years, and uh, and got it all together and and paid her way to. Uh, she couldn't afford a, a ship over to China. She had to uh, board a train. And through quite harrowing circumstances where the, this, this single woman could have been killed, um, she survived and got over to the mission field. There was a lady over there who, who had, um, she had corresponded with, an uh, English woman like herself, who said, yeah, I can, I can use you. And, and so she went over, and within a few months, this, this uh, dear saint that she came to work with passed away. She died. And now Gladys is, uh, is kind of out there by herself. And uh, she didn't really um, come to leave. Uh, this is in the days shortly before World War II. And one day she noticed a woman in um, her area. Again, she's over in China. And this woman had a, uh, a girl who was not her own. Very, very um, uh, much uh, uh, diseased, malnutrition. You could see it was obvious that this woman was, was, uh, was not taking care of the little one. And again, it wasn't her daughter. She was using her to help her beg. And the girl was just a pawn. And so Gladys, um, seeing this horrific condition this little one was in, she offered to pay the woman nine pence for, uh, for to buy her. And so the woman agreed. And she named this little child nine pence. That's literally what Gladys calls her. And that began Gladys rescuing a number of children to the place where uh, she has over a hundred that she's taking care of over there in China. Now World War II hit while she's over there, and no, we marked World War II starting in 1941, December at the end of that. Uh, but we were late getting into the war over in China. It was going on much earlier. Japan had invaded China, and much horrific uh, uh, suffering was going on. And so it became obvious that Gladys is going to have to. She's going to have to get those kids out of there uh, from the uh, place that they were staying. And, and she did. Uh, Gladys uh, uh, took those kids on a 12-day journey through all kinds of harrowing circumstances, and she kept those kids together. They got to safety, and she almost died in the process. I mean, she really was sick after getting those kids um, in, into a spot where they could be safe and, and out of harm's way. And many of those kids trusted Christ as Savior. Not all of them, but many of them did, uh, from what we're told. Well, now, why? Well, Jesus is saying, look, repent of living life for yourself. And you know what the tragedy is? When we live our lives for ourselves and we're all about just having a good time and storing up things, it's real empty. It really is. 
and you just you never have enough good times. You never have you never have enough of what you want. It, we always are just kind of chasing. It's like a like the donkey uh, that you could, could put the carrot on a on a pole there and you stick it out in front of them and 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 that's how you get them moving. I, I'm convinced that's how a lot of people go through life, just chasing the next carrot. Well, I gotta get a different car. I gotta get a nicer house, or I gotta get a a, a different woman, whatever it is. And we chase, and we chase, and the reality is, it's a real, real empty life if you stop to think about it. Jesus said, you want to be my disciple, repent, and number two, believe in the gospel. That is, if you need to believe what God has said then about himself. Now, what has God said about himself? That Jesus is the Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, that God is now demonstrating his love for you by that sacrifice of Christ. I have to believe what God has said about himself, um, about his son. I have to believe what God has said about himself and the fact that he created me. I'm accountable to him. But I also have to believe what God said about me. Repent and believe the gospel. The gospel is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sins because I needed that. I needed to be saved. That I'm incapable of saving myself. That's part of the gospel. So it's not just, well, uh, I believe that Jesus died, he rose again, uh, but I'm going to help my my own self into heaven. You're not going to do that. That's not believing the gospel. The gospel is believing what God said about himself. Yeah, he's your creator, you're accountable to him. But God said about his son, Jesus has God in the flesh. He came to this earth and literally lived among us as God in the flesh. Died on the cross for our sins. And then what God says about you, and that is you're a sinner, if you get what you deserve, you'd spend eternity banished from God's presence in hell. And Jesus came so that you didn't have to go there. So Jesus is calling, uh, he is calling people to repentance. He's also he is calling out disciples. And so notice what he says here in verse 16. He says, he walked by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Just two things quickly. First of all, your focus is to follow Jesus. That is, if you're seeking to learn about Jesus and to imitate his lifestyle in this generation, that's what follow me is all about. Follow me. Learn about Jesus and imitate him. And then your job is to become a fisher of men. Now, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? Well, you're interested in what Jesus was interested in, and that is seeing souls rescued from being children of their devil on their way to hell to becoming children of God on their way to heaven. That's your job. And God has a fishing spot for you. He's got a spot, your family, your friends, people you work with, people at school, He's and, and, and maybe random people that you run into. He's got a spot for you to fish. And he's got fish that he wants you to catch. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Now, some are following this. Some are becoming his disciples, and that's encouraging. Because verse 18 tells us they immediately left their nets and followed him. That's Peter and Andrew, his brother. And verse 19 tells us when he'd gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Jebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. So some are becoming disciples. We see four of these people that responded in these verses, and we still know their names, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. 
They obeyed Christ immediately, didn't they? And they suffered much for their faith, by the way. James, he's the, uh, the first apostle of Jesus to be martyred. He died at the hands of Herod Agrippa uh, around 44 AD. Before his martyrdom, he is said to have taken the gospel to Spain, um, and his martyrdom is recorded in Acts chapter 12. Andrew. Um, Andrew, we do not have biblical record of Andrew's death. Um, like in James, this is where we have Acts chapter 12. But it is widely believed that Andrew was crucified after being taken um, prisoner. He was, a, he was actually spreading the gospel to the uh, a time of his death in many unreached regions. And there are people um, that still look back and, and, and believe Andrew brought the gospel to them. Uh, Peter. Peter also was martyred, most likely uh, in Rome after being used to open the door of the gospel to both the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2 and the Gentile peoples of the world in Acts chapter 10. Uh, he's probably martyred under the reign of Nero. As a matter of fact, it's pretty certain that he was. And, um, and so he will die for his faith as well. John, as far as we know, John is the only of the original apostles of Jesus who dies a natural death. He was exiled for a period of time, however, to the Isle of Patmos, and um, seems that he died a natural death in Ephesus is what is really believed and seems to be strong evidence to that effect after he had a long and fruitful ministry. And he did, again, like all the others, run into opposition from time to time. But he followed the Lord and was a fisher of men and was greatly used by the Lord. And, of course, there's what I also, though, have to say is there's a number of unknown people, we, again, we know Peter, James, and John, who um, refused to call Christ's call to salvation. And why do I say that? Well, it, notice it says in, back in verse 14 that Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he's doing this in the region of Galilee, verse 14 tells us. And so these are not the only four guys he talked to. Um, so who chose to follow Jesus? Um, well, we know Peter, James, and John. There are probably others that we don't know the names of them. I'm sure there were. But who chose not to follow? Well, obviously we don't know their names. But we, we could probably come up with a good reason as to why they wouldn't follow. Um, and let's look at a case study, actually, um, of some that the Lord called in a different setting. It's not exactly the same. But who are examples of people who can act like a follower for a while but eventually show their true colors that they're really not. And where I'm going for this is Acts, excuse me, Luke chapter 9. And in verse um, 57 to 62, Jesus in, encounters not, uh, three different people who all of them he's talking to about following him or uh, they talk to him about following him. And so let me give you the first guy. It says, verse 57, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I call this guy um, the guy with the thoughtless commitment. You know, the, he, he promises that the Lord that in, in Everywhere you go, I'll follow you. And and the Bible tells us in another passage that deals with the same guy that he was a scribe, which means he was a, a person that studied the scripture. And you'd like to think 
maybe he does become a true follower, but Jesus doesn't seem to in, encourage him. I think what he's really doing is he's, he's saying to the guy, hey, if you really want to follow me wherever I'm going, you have to understand, you may not have a place to sleep. I don't have a house. Uh, I'm going from place to place. I don't have a place to lay my head tonight. It's one thing to say I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. It's another thing to do. It's sort of like the guy, probably many of you have heard about it. He, he's dating this girl and he's so madly in love with her. And he lives maybe a mile from her house. and He writes her this nice note and he tells her how um, you know, he would cross the, the the most dangerous river and he would he would you know um, climb the highest mountain and all these wonderful poetic things that he would do just to spend time with 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 this girl how much he loves her and then he concludes his his letter by saying i'm going to walk to your house tonight if it doesn't rain well again he made a great commitment in his letter of how much he loved this girl but uh a, by the, when the rubber hits the road, as they like to say, uh, he doesn't show any great commitment. Well, you know, the, the problem about making a, a, a thoughtless commitment, you, the Lord uh, encourages us to count the cost, to really think it through. And I know some of you, you may have have done that, and, and, and at this point in your life said, boy, I don't know if I'm willing to follow the Lord. Can I tell you that counting the cost is one thing, but you need to get off the fence, I was just um, dealing with a young fellow this morning, um, a nice young man. But I think for many years he's been on the fence, and he needs to get off the fence. He needs to make a choice. He needs to go on with the Lord. And it sounds like he's he's starting to make some good choices, and I appreciate that. But I'll just tell you this: we don't need just a, a few good choices. We need a we need a revolution. We need to to let Christ take our hearts and minds and rule and throw old self off the throne. Because the truth is, following God by faith does have its happy endings. There's there's some truth in that. I'm going to read you Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 35. It's about people of faith. It says, What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who was a great warrior, and Barak, another guy who had a great victory. Samson uh, uh, was able to have some great victories as well. Jephthah, another soldier that had a great victory. Also David and Samuel and the prophets. Again, uh, David, one of the greatest warriors of all time. Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all time. Who through faith, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. When aliens don't think of outer space people, he's talking about foreigners. Now, though, that's great. You, so, there, so at times, the people of faith have their happy endings. But can I tell you this? Following God also has its tragedies. The same, I'm in the middle of verse 35. And then he says this. He says, um, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. That's not a happy ending. Not on this earth. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings whippings yes and of chains and of imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two were tempted were slain with the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not worthy 
They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That doesn't sound like a happy ending. And if you're just looking at this life, if that's all you've got your eyes on, I will tell you that the Christian life doesn't always end in happy endings. And that's why it's such a foolish thing to think, oh, serving God means your best life now. Boy, it didn't mean that for Peter getting crucified. It didn't mean that for James being martyred as a young man. The Apostle Paul will be martyred in his maybe 50s or 60s. That's getting younger for me all the time. So the reality is, it is not that, well, I'll follow you wherever you go, and I'm sure it's all going to be nice and easy. Jesus said, I don't have a place to lay my head. So there's a thoughtless commitment. There's some some people that they'll they'll make a commitment, but the reality is they didn't really think it through. Uh, There's also the incomplete commitment. What I mean by that is the next guy in Luke chapter 9 says, they said to another, just as Jesus talking to him, follow me. He said this, this is the same thing that he said to Peter, James, and John. Follow me. He said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but go, you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, this is incomplete commitment. The idea is simply this. Jesus says, follow me. And he says, Lord, I will do it. I will do it. I just got something I want to do first. Now, please understand, it's not that his father had just passed away. Okay, in the Jewish culture, they're going to bury that man the same day. He wouldn't be standing in front of Jesus if his father just died. He'd be, he'd be literally working on getting his father buried. And just like when Jesus was crucified, he's buried the same day. That was the culture. So the man is not saying, my father just died, I've got to go back and take care of the funeral. He's not saying that because that would have happened you know, that very day. What he is saying is the idea is that my dad is going to die soon. And I need to do that first before I follow you. He wanted to be with his family first. And can I say that commitments to family are vitally important to the Lord. And they do not, um, God does not take them lightly and does not expect us to just, you know, chuck our, our wives and children aside on a whim. But can I tell you that there are times when the circumstances are so significant that family obligations do have to come second. And in in the the sight of God, my relationship with God is the most important driving force, and it needs to be in my life. I'll give you an example of of uh, when, when World War II broke out. We did not criticize. We honored married men who are drafted and 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 they went off to defend this country and they left their families they left their children behind and now again it was it's not a, a lifetime of of being away that you're drafted for you're drafted hopefully you're going to be in maybe uh, two three years something along that line and hopefully come home if things go well but we all know the reality is that many of those men never came back some left wives of only a few years or even months behind while others left children who would never remember their dad's face. Still others left behind children who would be born after their father's death. Were they wrong in leaving family behind? No, because the, 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 the situation was so grave that it was the right thing to do. And I will tell you, it, there, it's not like it happens every day, but there are times when God calls somebody and he says, listen, you need to go right now. You need to sacrifice. Yeah, there's going to be sacrifices here, but but it's so important. You need to go 
and you need to go now. You know, again, I just wonder about that woman at the Ganges River. I wonder if someone was not supposed to be there, besides the guy who didn't make it quite on time, I wonder if there was somebody else who could have and should have been there. But basically said, well, I got, I got other things I want to do with my life. Well, there's a third guy. It says another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell or at my house. Now, by the way, both those last two guys say something very similar. Me first. Let me do something first. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. What's this guy like? Well, the, remember the first guy, he was, uh, he wanted, uh, he, 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 there was something he wanted to do first. Okay. Uh, he wanted to, uh, and then the second guy, he wanted to be with his family first. Um, then there's the, this, this third guy, he wants, he wants to have a good time first. Uh, you can almost say it this way. Well, a lot of people think this. Well, let me sow my wild oats. Let me do what I want to do. And then when I get around to it, and may I say to you, the same voice that is telling you, put it off today, you can do it tomorrow, is going to say that same thing tomorrow. That's your own sinful nature, and that's the devil himself. Well, or one of his helpers. He's not omnipresent. But that idea that... That it's not God telling you to put it off. Find it interesting, during the tribulation period, God's going to raise up 144,000 Jewish men to take the gospel to the world. That'll be a wonderful thing. They're going to have a great impact. Revelation chapter 7 talks about Chapter 14 talks about them as well. Yet in Jesus' day, the most we see him calling who respond and take the gospel to his generation is, and he's just telling them to go to the nation of Israel, but 70, just 70. Now that's maybe beyond the disciples, maybe including them, I'm not really sure. But that, that's not a lot of people. And the, the tragedy is that there are many people who hear the call, they know what they ought to do, and they turn their back on it. Let me just give you some conclusions. First of all, just as Jesus looked for disciples in his generation, he still is looking for them today. In Matthew chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 28, verse 18, he says, All authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Then he says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Isn't that interesting? Go and make disciples of all the nations. He's still calling people. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's that, that idea of showing your faith, showing your repentance, um, and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. So what's he saying? Help other people to start doing the same thing you're doing. That's the idea of becoming a follower of Jesus. Just as Jesus looked for disciples, he's looking for them today. Your time to choose and to, and to make your a choice to serve him are also limited. Just like James chapter 14, chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into the city and do all these different things. Do it now. Number three, become a disciple. If you're going to become one, it's going to demand the repentance and faith. You can't skip those two things. Those are foundational. They're the elementary school. Until you come to the place where you will repent of your sin, Turn away from your sin and turn to Christ for salvation. You're not on your way to heaven yourself. You can't help anybody else. Fifthly, those who follow Jesus 
You have no guarantee of safety. He's not telling you it's going to be a bed of roses. He's not saying that at all. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But I will tell you this. If you promise to follow Christ and you keep your word, there's great eternal reward. The Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his life in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the last book he would write before his martyrdom. And he writes this. I'm in verse 6 down to verse 8. He says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. He knows he's going to be martyred. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. If you're lost, come to Christ today. If you know Christ as Savior, follow Jesus. Allow him to make you a fisher of men. Find your fishing hole and get at it. Because the bottom line, what a great privilege. Just like in Mark chapter 1, you are invited to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Father, help folks to make that choice to become a follower of Jesus today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we can see from watching Christ and examining other passages of Scripture related to the subject of discipleship that Jesus' message calling followers to himself is ongoing today. Have you taken the first step to repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus alone to save you? Have you heard our Lord's call to follow him? How will you respond? If you would like some extra spiritual help, like counseling, prayer, or some help with questions from the Bible, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. We'll get back to you in a timely fashion and would be glad to help in any way that we can. Maybe while you are listening, someone came to your mind who could profit from this message. You can send your friend a link to this podcast at RadioBold.com slash CalkinsBaptist. Let me also invite you, if you don't currently attend a Bible preaching church, to consider visiting us next Sunday at Calkins. We have Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m., morning worship at 10, and a Sunday evening Bible study at 6.30 p.m. We provide a nursery for each of these services. For those of you who are unable to physically attend, we also live stream our services on our Facebook page and archive messages both on Facebook and YouTube. In fact, if you'd like to watch, our 10 a.m. service is just about to go live on our Facebook page. This week we have a special speaker at Calkins named Mike Snavely. Mike heads up a special ministry teaching about the scientific accuracy of the Bible's teaching that God created the earth in six literal days. A child of American missionaries, Mike grew up in Africa. God has given him a love for animals and a way of using his interest and appreciation for the creatures God created as a means for sharing the gospel. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Life and light, he